Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness, and opportunity in VFX, animation, and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects, animation, and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. A belated Happy New Year from all of us at Team Access VFX and welcome to episode 24 of the Access VFX podcast, our first of 2020. Back in January, you may have read the article on Squiggly titled Inclusion and Diversity in the UK Animation Workforce, A Response, where the author Tanya Scott explained why she was so surprised to read the results of the survey we published last September, along with UK Screen and Animation UK especially some of the headline stats we published on Twitter about how artists thought their workplaces were being highly inclusive, which didn't necessarily match her own or her colleagues' experiences. Admittedly, it's a very delicate subject to cover, as we're aware of the concerns artists have about speaking up, which is feared may be detrimental, and they may be seen by employers as a troublemaker in such a small industry. But to show this isn't the case, we need to give such voices a bigger platform to try and normalise people speaking up. And that's why, ultimately, Access VFX exists. So we invited them to share their thoughts on this podcast. We gave artists Tanya and Ash Wu a microphone and left them alone to chat freely about their experiences, industry inclusion, and what can be done to move the industry to a more inclusive place. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, uh, my name is Tanya Scott and I am a 2D animation art director and illustrator based in London. Um, I work in a lot of series, but I also do uh, graphic novels and picture books, which I'm trying to get off the ground at the moment. Um, and I am responsible for writing the article, which was a response to the diversity and inclusion uh, study that came out in September 2019. Um, the survey was carried out by Access VFX, Screen Alliance UK and Animation UK. Um, and I've been asked to sort of explain kind of why I wrote it. Um, what really caught my attention was on Twitter, there was a infographic that said four out of five people find the animation industry highly or mostly inclusive. And quite honestly, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the statistic. Um, every conversation I've had with um, friends from you know, you know, whether the, you know, from, uh, LGBT community, um, you know, BAME, as people like to say, uh, or fe- even female colleagues have expressed to me how they feel that these, uh, aspects of their identity come up at work quite regularly and they always have to navigate around it. So I was kind of a bit confused about why this survey had produced these results and how, um, looking into the document, and it was 71 pages, um, I kind of started to realise that a lot of the people who had answered these questions maybe didn't have the same ideas on what inclusion meant. And I thought that was a really important point to pick up on and probably not something that many people were aware of, especially because um, animation is an industry that's dominated by men and probably white men to an extent, Um and as a very you know, ever-growing multicultural society, I think it, it's time to kind of get become a bit more honest about it. So, <clears throat> uh, 
Yeah, so the art that published a few weeks ago in early January 2020, and the response has been great. Um, a lot of people have reached out, um, one of whom is here with me today, and that's um, Ash Wu. And I'll let Ash introduce himself. Um, yeah, hi. Uh, so like uh, Tanya said, I'm Ash, and I've been working in 2D animation as an animation assistant for almost five years. I make comics, and I'm currently writing and illustrating a graphic novel. And I also volunteer as a speaker for a company called Diversity Role Models, who deliver LGBTQ plus inclusivity, inclusivity, workshops to schools and businesses and yeah um i actually dm'd uh, tanya on twitter after um reading the article because uh yeah I, I it was really good to see someone actually speaking up about this i think what really uh resonated with me in particular was that these conversations um are often ones that i had uh you know in the in hushed tones in the background and mm. in, in quiet corners like you mentioned and to actually see it in writing was, uh, it actually felt like a huge relief to know that I wasn't the only person who had experienced um, certain things and and uh, saw the industry the same way that I did. And yeah, it was really massive to see an acknowledgement of these experiences. Yeah, I think it's, um, so probably um, Ash and I should probably uh, make you guys aware that we both come from a 2D background. Um but some of the responses I've had from other people um, have come from like 3D and VFX, um, people who have also found this article to, that really resonates with them. Um, and also, I think it's important that maybe we also say that Ash and I coincidentally both happen to be yes. um, half English, half, half Chinese. Yeah, half English, half Chinese. Um, <laughs> just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, just a coincidence. But obviously there are some things we're going to talk about that maybe other people also need like time and space to talk about because our experiences aren't going to be the same. They might be similar, yeah. but you know, just because we're what society likes to call us ethnic minorities, it doesn't mean that we all have exactly the same experiences. You know, some people have much more blatant examples than we might have. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess we're going to try and start. Ash and I have never done a podcast before. Yeah, if it's showing. <laughs> <laughs> we can do our best. We are going to do our best. Um, so I guess um, the reason why I reached out to um, Ash in particular was because um, when he messaged me, um, he made a really great point about how probably a lot of animation studios would really benefit from hearing more about, um, you know, um, trans people in particular, I think, in the industry. Um, and I think it is something that probably all aspects of the media could do with a bit more. Um, and it would be really, I just thought it'd be really interesting to hear more what he had to say um, and for him to share his experiences, especially because, I mean, we were discussing just before we were recording that you were saying that a lot of students got in contact with you and asked yeah. you about this. Yeah. So obviously there's a real, you know, need to talk about Definitely. it. Definitely. Um, and it, you know, maybe in a similar way, like for you reading the article, um, it would be a real relief for them to know that they're not, you know, people are talking about this and yeah. they want to make a difference. Even um, though it's not perfect, and there are people who are trying to improve the situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, one thing um, I think I saw people responding with your article is they were asking you, how do you define diversity versus inclusion? And uh, there's that great quote from uh, Vernon Mayers. Yeah. Um, says, uh, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Um, 
And for me, like, I think with uh, diversity, it's something that, you know, in some cases you can go to a studio and do a head count of who is and who isn't an ethnic minority. Not always. Obviously some people might pass as white or etc. cetera. Mm. Um, but I was wondering, like, do you do the same thing? Like I, I do find myself when I start a new studio, especially I will look around and see how many people are an ethnic minority. Um, and I think that this might be something that if you're a white person, you might not necessarily feel the same way, but I was wondering, um, if you had this experience as well. Funnily enough, I haven't. And, and I think it's, um, a lot of people like to tell me that I, I, I pass for white. Um, I don't look particularly Chinese, I suppose. Um, not to white people anyway, I often get mistaken for being Spanish or Mexican. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I think maybe to an extent, um, because of that, I, I've not been so impacted. And I think that's, that's probably quite a surprise to people after reading the article, but it's quite telling of the situation we're in in case, you know, in that if these are the experiences I've had as somebody who has been perceived as a white person, what it must be like for people who cannot escape the sort of preconceptions other people might have about them because of their race. Um, and I have heard from friends that, well, one of my um colleagues told me that when she arrived um uh she was expecting to be the only black person there and then when another black colleague actually showed up for his first day she said to him I thought I was going to be the only black person working here um and she'd really fully prepared herself Mm. for that and you know I don't think that's something like you said like a lot of white people really take in consideration that people almost preparing themselves to come up with difficult you know come against it yeah, because of their race or how they identify, um, and I think you've got like a few examples of doing the same. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think like for me, especially uh, with my identity at work, uh, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but I should have probably said this in, in the introduction. <laughs> but um, I'm a transgender man, and uh, I actually only transitioned or well, um, started physically transitioning uh, in the last few years. So. Um, I think I was really self-conscious when I started a new studio, especially when I was at the very beginning of um, taking testosterone, because I knew that my voice and the way I looked wouldn't necessarily be read as uh, male. So I would be very, very conscious about being the only uh, queer person in the room. And um, I'd also kind of try and downplay it as well because I didn't want to be it was hard because I didn't I wanted to find you know it'd be great if there were more more queer people at work but I also didn't want to be defined solely by that Mm -hmm. so um I try not to bring it up as much as I could and I wouldn't speak about it uh um but it was difficult because you also realize that a lot of people and this is not just an animation thing as we'll talk about it's definitely a society thing aren't educated about you know, like, um, gender identity, uh, what it's like to not be the majority. Um, and I think, uh, you mentioned in the article, I think this goes, um, for both gender identity and I think minorities that, uh, the experience of, um, banter at work, what mm. was called termed banter. Uh, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about, um, what you mentioned in your article or yeah. Um, so people will say things that I think, you know, <laughs> it's often taken 
like it's a, it's a joke but for I think what a lot of people don't realize is that it has real consequence for people who are an ethnic minority and I'm sure again you know queer and you know it's it those jokes and that banter reflects a lot of the sort of um stigma and abuse that people might face because of their race or their identity and even if you mean it in jest you know it reinforces those ideas and I think in the article I spoke about something which for me had real um I looked at it and I thought that really is it's like anti-Japanese propaganda from the 1940s to me that's how it read I looked at it and I thought visually and you know growing up I was my mom was like the only Chinese woman in the neighborhood. And I remember what kids used to say and how, what they used to ask me and, you know, their children, okay, they don't know any better, but they've got that idea from somewhere. And it, it does come from us and it continues. It is continually coming from us as adults because the fact that that was something that I worked on, yeah. which is now broadcast on children's TV, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think people should be surprised that racism exists in the way it does when we are the ones reinforcing those, you know, historical kind of stereotypes and things like that. Um, I don't know if I've gone a bit off topic, but. No, I think, no, I think that's, that's completely, a completely valid point. Um, yeah. I remember you mentioned in your article, uh, somebody asked, oh no, somebody said to you that they thought Asians were weird because they eat dogs. Yeah. And I was like, what, in what year did this happen? Did this happen you know, yeah, yeah, this happened really, a couple of years ago. It's that kind of thing where you think, why wasn't this left, you know, in the playground? This yeah, is it's yeah. ridiculous that... Um, and this is the thing as well, like I think, um, which brings me into the article in animation in itself. Well, maybe not animation in itself, maybe society in itself and the perceptions of things like racism and stuff like this. And it's it's down to that individual in that moment who is experiencing that racism to call it out or to make a decision there. And then you have to constantly navigate the situation as a woman or as a trans person or as a ethnic minority. And it was exactly that. And, you know, like, you know, I was older at that point when this person said that to me and I could have gotten very upset about it because it's not as if it's the first time I've heard it. But, you know, very calmly, I said to her, you know, that's not true. Um, and there's nothing else I can say to that yeah. because, you know, what she you knows. Exactly, she knows I'm Chinese. She knows yeah. I'm half Chinese. Um, but how do you persuade somebody who has come from a very, obviously a very sheltered background? Yeah. And, you know, the only way you can win them over is being polite and being, you know, keeping yeah, your own emotions in check. Also, you don't want to necessarily burn bridges. Yeah. It actually reminded me... Um, there's something that happened when I was uh, just starting out in animation and I only remembered this after reading the article. I was working in a studio where on the floor I was the only ethnic minority. Um, and, um, somehow a discussion about my heritage got brought up. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but the, um, someone on my team, um, following the conversation proceeded to just randomly start saying ching chong ding dong and making those weird you know pseudo uh oh sounds and like it was I was just stunned and yeah. in the moment because I was the only I think minority like I mentioned and 
I was also an intern, so I didn't feel like I had any power to bring it up. I was just incredibly shocked and embarrassed that it was happening. Yeah. And no one else acknowledged it. I think, um, and I think it's these kind of things where it's like, people don't realize this stuff happens all the time. Uh, it's just, if it isn't a big deal for you, it's easier to brush it off. But for me, that has, you know, I I managed to forget about it, but I remember how mortified I was. I was, I was like, I thought animation was meant to be, you know, fun and friendly place. But after that, I realized, oh, there are, there are still people who can be incredibly ignorant and Mm. incredibly offensive. And I, I'm shocked to think that maybe this person didn't realize they were being offensive, but if that's the case, and it shows that something has to be done about that lack of education. Um, and I think definitely it sort of also highlights, I mean, the fact that nobody said anything mm. also highlights just how isolating it is. And I mean, like anybody who thinks otherwise, I mean, it's foolish to believe that that wouldn't have an impact on your working life and how you go into every other studio following that. Um, and how you, you know, approach these things in the future, because it always plays on in your mind. And I think, you know, when I was saying in the article, you know, well, you know, we have to ask ourselves, is this what being inclusive actually means? Yeah. I mean, I would say that is far from feeling included Mm -hmm. at work. Yeah. That you go to work and you're worried that somebody's going to say something to you that's going to offend you or upset you, that you have to constantly protect and shelter yourself from that, that you have to be aware of every decision you make. Mm -hmm. And then when you see somebody making a decision, which you think is a poor one, and you call it out, how are people going to react to you in that situation? Yeah. You know, this, this isn't the definition of inclusiveness. Yeah. Constantly having to navigate your identity and relationships with people. Cause as we know, or as you may know in animation, um, I mean, obviously, you know, for the audience, whoever's listening, um, uh, most of your jobs end up coming through people that you know. And so, you know, if somebody says something racist or transphobic or yeah, etc. Um, it's not clear how to bring it up at all because yeah. you feel like maybe you'll be dismissed or maybe you'll be singled out as, oh, too sensitive or mm. because you're the only person who it affects on the team, yeah. especially when the management is largely white, if not entirely white. Um, but I think obviously with the example I gave before, that's more of a blatant example of racism, but I think um, uh, sometimes there are more subtle comments um, that aren't necessarily malicious, but definitely feel like they've come from a place of ignorance. And these also make you feel othered. And I think you mentioned like as a woman in the workplace, you have a lot of examples about this kind of experience. Yeah. You know, I try to to sort of slightly mention that in the article that a lot of probably what I'm saying as somebody who comes from an ethnic minority is probably very true for women. A lot of the day-to-day problems I face at work are to do with my gender, I think, most for the most time. And I think it is unconscious sometimes, but that doesn't make it right. I think, you know, it, how many women I've spoken to have that thing where, you know, they they put out an idea and nobody seems to hear it. And then five minutes later, a guy says it and everyone's like, that's a great idea. Oh my God, you're so great. And my mom was sitting there going like, oh my God, am I like mad? Am I going crazy? Um, Being spoken over, you know, having male colleagues um, making sexual 
comments about other female colleagues or even about you. Um, I've been told that I should smile more. Oh God. <laughs> you know, that it's old timey one. From the book. And that was when you got younger than me. Oh, no. <laughs> you really should smile more. Oh, um, you know, and again, like, you know, we're talking about inclusion and feeling, you know, but, but I, I think we've both, we have spoken about this before and I think it, it isn't, it seems so black and white and obvious to me that inclusion should mean coming to work and feeling respected and valued as a professional person, as an individual, everything else, how you identify, what ethnicity you are, what gender you are, what's your sexuality, it's, it should be completely irrelevant. Yeah. And I think we are far from that. And again, like you said, this isn't something that's like solely animation. Um, it's, it's a society wide issue, which a lot of the things that are coming out, you know, this Lauren Fox, Lawrence Fox thing and mm. Meghan Markle and all this kind of stuff is obvious, you know, it is something that we all need to work on. Um, but I think within animation, what probably surprises people is the fact that we come across as very liberal, open sort of industry. And for the most part we are, but there's still real resistance to when these things are spoken about or to when people flag an issue in person. And not only is there resistance to that, there's like, it's, there's no support for it. Mm. Nobody's there saying, you know, you can come to this safe space and talk to me about it and we will try and make things better. Yeah. More often than not, which has been my experience, my friend's experience, I think to an extent your experience, yeah. you're left to fight it on your own. And when you do flag it, it's like your problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody else is. It's yeah. not like, you know, that person shouldn't have said that to you. That person shouldn't have behaved like that. Oh, you know, you're, you're being, you're being um, sensitive about it. You're being very delicate about it. Um, yeah, I've definitely. Yeah. I definitely found that's the case. Like I think, when I have brought it up, I think the reaction is usually, um, it's not so much about reprimanding the person who said or did whatever they said or did. It's more about, oh, well, then just try and avoid working with that person in the future, which in animation <laughs> is not a huge industry. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's pretty tricky to have to navigate that. Um, it's like proper, like primary school teacher kind of handling. Yeah, just don't, just don't speak to them anymore. It's like, well, I have to They're work just with jealous. them, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they are. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I think, um, I think on top of that, like, um, I think you have, really have to think about when, when people get away with um, saying and doing things that are othering people, like whether that be through very blatant ways or more subtle ways, you have to think about how that makes everyone else in that minority feel. And what kind of example are you setting by allowing these people to, you know, remain in your studio? What does that say about your studio? Mm -hmm. And what does it make, um, you know, because word of mouth is definitely a thing. People will, hear about these things that have happened and have been allowed to continue to happen and um, contemplate whether they actually want to work there. And so I think that's really driving away a lot of talent from from places that have a reputation for not tackling this. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I was wondering how many um, female or ethnic minority directors have you actually had in your career? Because you said that you've been working for about yeah, 10 years. It was quite, yeah, things. yeah. So um, next, or this summer, it will be 10 years. Um, ah. So um, I've worked 
my first job was actually at Ardman Animations. Um, and then since then, I've worked at a lot of different studios, some very big, some very small. Um, and in that time, it was funny because when I was writing the article, I was actually counting on my hand because I was like, that can't be right. I have worked with two female directors and one black male director. No, I haven't yet to meet a female black animation director or I think very few even black animators full stop. I think um, actually just thinking about that, I think because I've been in, in the industry close to about five years yeah. and I've, I've had uh, one female director and one black uh, cis male director yeah. and I guess the maths is kind of it kind of works out. Yeah, yeah. That's but right. It's not great. It's no, not good. It's not. And it was, I think um, once I worked under uh, an East Asian male director, but that wasn't actually for animation. It was for game or apps. Oh, so I didn't count apps. it because I was like, it's not part of the animation industry yeah. technically. Um, so we, I could say I pushed two of each. Yeah. Um, but for still... how, um, how many things I've worked on, I wouldn't say that was very good no it's not a great track record is it no it's not and I think there have to be you know talking again about inclusion how we can improve it how we can improve diversity I think there have to be real open discussions about how we can open doors for people and I think you know diversity quotas is quite an interesting thing to talk about because a lot of people feel like one way or the other about it Mm. um I mean what is what's your your opinion on quotas and things, do you think they're a good thing, bad thing? I think ultimately what they're, I want to think, and I think they are trying to, you know, do a positive thing, which is to be aware of the people who are in their studio, you know, who's not represented, who is represented. Um, and they, I think they are trying to assess how people feel, that like they are trying to get a feel for uh, inclusion. But in a survey, there's only so much you can really say and really there's not a lot of nuance in it. Mm. It's a very broad overview of things. And it's conversations like this where you really hear about the actual things that people are hearing and experiencing yeah. at work. Um, and also there's there's the added thing of... Um, I've actually come across one of these surveys before, uh, which mm. makes sense, obviously. I work at mission. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but for myself, I remember thinking, okay, so I know I'm the only transgender man in the studio. If I say that I don't think animation is very inclusive, then they look, they read over my, my uh, questionnaire. They're going to know who said it. Like the people collecting the, the studio collecting that um, survey, they're going to know exactly who said it. And that's going to affect me and like my career. So I do wonder how much of that happened in the collection of this data. Um, it's actually pretty hard to talk openly about this stuff. And even in, I, I'd say that probably extends to questionnaires. I don't know how many people experience the same thing, but that's certainly my experience. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. I think quite often when you see these, I mean, I was talking um, briefly with somebody who's part of Access VFX and Escape Studios, and I was saying one of the things I always notice whenever I see a sort of diversity panel, it's made up of a lot of people who sort of belong to like HR departments or like senior management, and very rarely is it people who work at like a junior level or even at a mid level. Um, and I think that's changing slightly. There have been a few events um, where it's it's been a bit more open but like you said like there's a real fear I think because like you know people will come to animation and they really want to do a good job and they really want to survive in it and they want to excel in it 
And I think when you see that a lot of people who are senior to you don't look like you, don't know anything about you, <laughs> and are sometimes very sensitive, you don't want to make you don't want to make it an issue. You don't want to yeah. say anything, even if you know that what they've done is wrong. Yeah, it can be very difficult to call it out. Um, and that's actually like a couple of people who have responded to me um, have have expressed the same thing, you know, across the sectors as well. It's not just to the animation. They're saying that there's, there's this real culture um, that's manifested, you know, in lots of different ways, but it just puts up all the barriers. And you do just constantly, you're just constantly made to feel like you're outside the sort of, the inner circle yeah yeah you know. the safe the safe circle yeah. of people who will probably keep their jobs and stay employed no matter what they say yeah um absolutely. as opposed to being a minority and you think that if you raise any point anything that could stir the pot or whatever yeah, yeah. then you do have to worry like oh how is this gonna affect me am i gonna you know yeah. be able to work at these places again if i bring this up yeah. or am i just gonna have to keep quiet about it in order to keep surviving yeah and i think most certainly you know like some people as well they come to work and people have um, preconceptions about what they're going to be like just purely based on their ethnicity. Like, I think this is especially true for probably, well, I mean, I can't say, you know, I'm not a black person, but for black people, but definitely for black men, when they come to work, there's this sort of like, oh, you're going to be this kind of person. And then they're, they're having to sort of work their way around that when they come to work, you know, just like as a woman, like, you can't be too aggressive, you know, because, you know, there's that common saying, like, as a woman, you, you're not assertive, you're bossy. Yeah. It's, it's, that, it's exactly, it happens thing. a lot. And I think it must be true for some some men as well. Like, you come to work and you have to be very careful about what you say, how you say it, how you express yourself. Um, and people make it very evident that they think that way about you by the throwaway comments that they give you, by how they behave around you. Um yeah, I think as well uh, something I just thought about. I, um, when you're the only person of color or um, the only minority at work, uh, I think I felt I felt this as a queer transgender man is that I was very very conscious that for a lot of people they had probably never met a transgender person before, mm-hmm. and so I felt this kind of weight of having to be really really. You know, I, I had to represent. I was there to represent <laughs> yeah. on the level, which I, you know, it wasn't really. I was there to do a job, but I had this feeling, this kind of burden of, oh, like when I get asked certain questions, I'm gonna have to know how mm. to answer them. And obviously, I can't speak for all trans people. Like I, I am yeah. me, like, and everyone's experience is unique. But I always, and I don't mind being asked questions about it. I don't mind, you know, like, uh, it's a song that's not invasive, but um. But at the same time, it is difficult to have to prepare yourself to be an educator at the same time as you're doing yeah. a job. And it shouldn't really be, in that situation, it shouldn't be my job to educate people mm-hmm. at, at work while I'm trying to do something else. And and having to maybe dismantle some comments that uh, are offensive. And, and to be fair, like I know a lot of these comments aren't said, aren't, they aren't coming from a bad place most of the time. But occasionally there'll be something where, you know, it's a very difficult thing to have to address while you're trying to do your job, yeah, and um, and it shouldn't the burden shouldn't really be on someone like me who is just you know like I said there to work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I've, again, like um, maybe this isn't something that I've I've had to deal with so much, but definitely I've had black friends who have said that you know basically they have to explain. It's like it's it's just one race of people. Like you are black. It's not like they're Caribbean, they're like maybe Brazilian or African, or whatever. Yeah. So like whenever they've got a question about black people, it's like oh you're my go-to person. It's yeah, like, well, it's they like don't they know every black person in the universe. <laughs> like you know they can't answer for everybody. It's not like they're all the same kind of person. We don't uh, all know each other. Yeah, but this is the thing. I think people like you said like they don't mean it maliciously. It's just it, lack of education. Yeah, yeah. And they don't seem to realise like what kind of impact that has because they've never had to face that. But, you know, like, examples of having colleagues being, you know, people saying, oh, can I touch your hair to, like, a black colleague? Like, who does, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I guess to us it seems like an obvious thing, but I I suppose to some people it isn't so obvious. Mm. And I think that's the real problem here is that uh, there are questions that can be said instantly, but even when, even in asking those questions, you are automatically othered because it brings up an immediate separation between you and that person. Yeah. you know, with uh, that person asking to touch your friend's hair, they then have to think, okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna address this? What's the how can I do this without offending them? Yeah, and causing a problem, but also making them see that it's not okay. It's like yeah. it's so much responsibility to have in that moment. You know, while presumably they're trying to work. Yeah, yeah, and exactly, and, and again, like it falls on them to to navigate the situation, to keep in check their own emotions. I mean, I don't think I'd be very comfortable with anyone touching my hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially at work, well, but just, just generally. Like <laughs> um, but, don't touch um, the hair. Yeah, just don't touch the hair. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, like, and I guess this is this takes on to sort of how we can improve diversity and inclusion at work. And I think, you know, education for, for in both respects is very important. Um but as well as education, a real curiosity and interest to make things better. Yeah. Um, I think that's essential. Um, and I think many people do, but they're just not aware of these things being different. But there's so much content online now, like TED Talks and, you know, discussions, panel discussions at the yeah. South Bend Centre and at Oxford University. You know, this stuff is very easily accessible. Yeah, I think you just have to be willing to look into it. But also... I think that it would be good if um, the people who are in a position to actually had maybe tried to bring these workshops to their studios if they have the budget for it. Mm. Um, at the very least, the the lead staff should be attending these panels and talks and workshops. Um, I mentioned at the beginning, I work as a volunteer for Diversity Role Models, um, who are a charity established to tackle homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying in schools. And they also give workshops with corporations and business owners. And there are many companies that do this and um, it's not impossible to find them. It's quite, you know, they're very accessible, mm. really great people. Um, and I think that it's just, I think maybe it begins with acknowledging that there is a problem. That's the only way you can you can start to address it. It's like, okay, there is a problem here that there is ignorance around certain things and that's understandable because especially with the gender identity you never really get educated in that unless you're unless you're trans and in which case you kind of have to but um, (laughs) you're kind of confronted but for for cis people especially I think it's really valuable to seek out that information Mm -hmm. like I like I mentioned uh, to you and as you brought up I've had quite a few emails from trans students asking me what it's like to be in animation and you know overall 
you know my experience has been has been good but I I also want it to be as good as it can be for them I think that's really important to me is just uh, and that's kind of why I'm here today it's like yeah. I really want to make it so that they don't necessarily have to, t to deal with all the things that I've dealt with you know mm -hmm. like the even things like even things that are kind of outside of work but still related like seeing colleagues post transphobic things on social media yeah. and the kind of alienation that causes and not knowing how to address that and I just wish that kind of thing didn't happen to begin with I think that's it's it's obviously something that needs to be called out but also it'd be great if it just didn't happen to begin with you know as much as possible yeah yeah I think um there definitely needs to be more awareness of it um and I think um I mean like uh, so in your opinion I mean because I think a lot of people will be listening to this and they'll be like okay I, I understand that but then but then how do I approach these situations if I feel like I want to know more how do I talk to somebody about this without being accused of being racist or transphobic <laughs> and all this kind of stuff I mean what would your suggestion be to somebody who is in that situation of wanting to yeah, learn yeah they want to learn more but Ooh, they perhaps that? don't have access to um workshops or um so I think as you mentioned there's a lot of resources online there's a lot of I mean there's YouTube obviously <laughs> yeah. um looking up a these things other good outlets yeah there's, there's a lot <laughs> Um, yeah there's there's a lot you can find online um i think it'd definitely be worth uh I, I mean there's a lot i could recommend um i've actually got a book in my bag um just grab it it's a really great book i i would highly recommend it for anyone who's wanting to learn more about gender identity in particular it's called um queer a graphic history and it's by meg john barker and julia Scheel. um but I think uh, in the description of this podcast, it'd be worth including some further links because, yeah, yeah it's true. Not everyone can access uh, workshops, even like studios make, might not have the budget to even bring them over. I mean, I'd be happy to come over and talk about it. Honestly, like I'm here. <laughs> I would honestly do it for free. I mean, maybe I shouldn't put that out there, but no, yeah, no, I, I, I think would. you should pay. Ash. Okay, yeah, pay, no, do, pay me at least, you know, something. But lunch I, at least. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta eat. Um, yeah I gotta eat. Oh. I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> where, where, where we? Uh, yeah, so I think I think um, you can find a lot online. Uh, we'll try and include as many uh, informative books and yeah. online resources, free resources, yeah. um, as possible. Because, it, you know, you can... I mean, it's great to have uh, this conversation with uh, people who are an ethnic minority or trans or LGBTQ+, plus, etc. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you want to just get like a you know a solid foundation level education you can look into these things and then maybe at that point when you feel like you can if you can talk to somebody without offending them in any obvious way yeah you can always ask hey would you be comfortable talking about this um and maybe say like i'm sorry if i say anything out of hand or mm. offensive just let me know and i'll try and you know learn from it because yeah. I've I've had situations like, uh, where, especially when I first came out, and with family members, I've had to sort of be their their educator, and you do I I do have a patience for the fact that people aren't taught about this stuff, and it's unfortunate, and I I shouldn't necessarily have to be their educator, but it is how it is, and and um, so I think you'll find that there are people who would be happy to have this conversation, even if it does mean even if you are coming from a place of complete you know lack of awareness yeah. uh 
but obviously be sensitive you know don't yeah. don't do anything blatantly racist or transphobic <laughs> although if you don't know what that is I guess start with online resources I guess that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> yeah I think this is the thing this is the thing that amazes me so often is and people sort of they say these things and it doesn't seem like they've given any thought to the person first and foremost mm. you know there has to be it's fine to be curious and it's okay not to know but remember you are talking to a person yeah and it's okay if that person doesn't feel like they want to talk about it yeah. or explain themselves. They're not obliged to educate yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. But I think more often than not, people are willing to, to try and help you out if they're in an earnest sort of willingness on your part. And I think that's, that is important to remember. Um, and also just to remember that you are talking to another person. They're not like another species from it's not planet. google yeah yeah either yeah use google good. first that's probably yeah. a good idea okay google's a good one we'll probably be um yeah yeah actually we'll put we'll put some links and maybe maybe google isn't the best idea we'll we'll put some links in. <laughs> yeah, <I was> <laughs> it's say, like probably depends what you hot. write yeah, into google yeah, exactly but, it's like um, <laughs> hold on um, um but yeah so i think i think that covers most of it i think yeah um, i hope this hasn't been too rambly but i think hopefully gives people enough to sort of think about and meditate on because I think you know there's obviously a lot more that can be said we could probably be here for another few hours most definitely and I think if we included like other people then we could be here for weeks on end because it is not unusual to have these stories and for people to share these experiences um and I guess the other thing I want to just quickly add in is like if you see these things happening you know, back that person up. Yeah. The person who's the victim of it, back that person up, not the other side. <laughs> you know, if you see someone being transphobic or homophobic or racist, you know, you've, it is everyone's responsibility to say something and do something and Absolutely. look after each other or sexist, I should add in. Um, because, you know, maybe that person's not aware, maybe they are aware, in which case they definitely need to be told. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's, that's it. Yeah. So, um, I think, um, thank you, Ash. Yeah, thank you for having me oh, and for inviting sorry. me to... I mean, this is not a studio. No, to this. I, don't, I don't own Bluesy, <laughs> <unfortunately>. Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, do, do not, I don't know why to turn your own Bluesy. Um, but yeah, thank you to Bluesy for allowing us to use this space and to Tom for um, inviting us as well. Um, but I think that's it. Then. <laughs> there we go. End of another Access VFX podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about what we discussed, our mentoring program and events we're at, then head over to our website at www.accessvfx.org and follow us on social media. Big thank you for listening and until next time, bye.